lecture here. Looking forward to hearing what Steve has to say. And then a little bit later, uh, we've got another guest speaker that will be introduced a little bit later. Steve has came all the way from, well, not this time. I started to say all the way from Africa. Yeah. I think he's getting ready, we're getting ready to send him to Africa, he told me. Sure. Last part of April, or February. Right. Uh, going back over there for, what, two months? Three. Three months. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's always a joy to uh, have uh, visitors come to us, those that we're supporting and so forth, and give us a report on the work. Uh, even though we get uh, regular monthly reports and so forth from them, it, uh, there's nothing like uh, hearing it from them in person. So without taking up any more time this morning, I uh, present uh, Steve Worley. Good morning. Is my mic working? You hear me? Okay. My wife tells me I have a tendency to mumble. Uh, I'm, we're packed up and ready to roll. I'm going to show you some things that you probably won't believe half of it, but it's real. And I, you know, looking back now, I, it's just, we're on almost going on 35 years over there. And we were the first ones up into the north. And the north is 99% Muslim. We got over 52 million Muslims up there. We got more Muslims in northern Nigeria than the country of Iraq, really. And uh, it's the most populated nation in in the world, black nation in the world. My mic's upside down. My mic's, oh. Well, my words weren't upside down, were if you hear me in, in Africa, you'd hear me say, Gamma Alaya ye come Nardinia Hard Abadadansa. Hai Fafa Shikadi Domindukan Wana Yana Baraga, there she cut her eye hard Abada. And that's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel in the house of language with 50, over 50 million Muslims. Some of my best friends are Muslims. God loves Muslims. You don't like what they do, but God loves everybody. Everybody in the world is my brother and sister in Adam, right? And if I can look at them as my brothers and sisters in Adam, created just like me in the same problems and the same, uh, same life, then I want to make them my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the secret, I think, of loving the world and, and, and hating what they do. Let's put it that way. Some of my best friends are Muslims. They'll, they'll give their life for me, I think. And uh, it's been a good run. We've had a good time. I'm going to show you. Uh, Isaiah says in 55, he says, So will my word be which goeth forth from my mouth. It will not return unto me empty. But without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it, the power is in the word. It's not in my beauty. It's not in my personality. But that word needs to be coupled with my personality for force. Otherwise, it's just a written text with its own word and its own power, and the people can read it. But I can couple it with my personality and you can couple it with your personality with a force that I can't have because you are a unique Christian. You're a unique individual. And you couple that power, the word, 
And you can cause people to change their whole lives by the gospel. If you don't remember anything in this presentation this morning, remember this, this, this sentence. You cannot cause somebody to be lost. It's impossible. You can't cause somebody to be lost. They're already lost. You're going to make them loster? <laughs> that won't work. That won't work. I've discovered that secret a long time ago when I was in the Navy. I, can't, I can cause a brother to stumble. I understand that. The Bible tells me that. But I can't, I can't cause somebody to be lost. They're lost. So anything I say that is truth that's in my life, that I've proven in my life, will only cause them to become better people. Right? It's true. And that gives you a freedom because you belong to Christ and you're in the kingdom of light. And you have the power of the gospel in you that you can just release it and tell people. If they don't like it, that's, that's no problem. And you're not responsible for their words. Whatever they say, they're gonna, they own those words. I have Muslims. I'll go down in the market and I'll be talking to Muslims. And a group of them will say, oh, Christianity. Christianity is so divided. I say, what do you mean? They say, well, you've got the Protestants and the Catholics. I say, wait a minute, you guys. You got the Shias and the Sunnis. They say, well, yeah, well, okay. But you guys got denominations. You got over 300 denominations in Christianity. I say, wait a minute, you guys. You got sects. You got sects in Islam. You got over 60 sects. And they say, well, it's not 300. I say, wait a minute. We're 600 years older than you. Wait 600 years and see how many sects you have in Islam. And they'll say, oh, and you smile, because it's truth, okay? And they'll say, oh, Brother Worley, we don't want to talk to you about that. I say, okay, let's talk about football. What's your favorite team? Okay? And let it go. Plant the word. Have a good time with the people. Learn from them, because that's really what they think. They're responsible for thinking that, not me. That's who we are to them, all right? Now, let me, get, let me take off with you. Of course, Islam is all over northern Nigeria. It's, there's billions of them, uh, or millions of them in Nigeria. When we started together, Nigeria had 110 million people. We now have 218 million people in Nigeria. Half of them are Muslims that live in the north. We moved into the northern, southern Nigeria with my wife and family back in 85, and they said, Brother Worley, if you go north, the Muslims will eat you. Well, I'm here to testify to you this morning that Muslims don't like seafood. I spent 22 years in the Navy, and they have not eaten me yet, okay? They've treated us good. Most of the times, they treat us good. Most Muslims are just like you and I. They believe in a God, not the God, the Christian God. They believe in the Muslim God from Mohammed's 600 years after Jesus died. But Uganda has 45 million, Kenya has 30 or 59 million, or South Africa has 59 million, Egypt has 109 million, Nigeria has 213 million people, and they're all black, <laughs> and it's wonderful. Uh, I go there, and uh, hi. there's all different kinds of tribes, and they have a word for me called uolo, and what it means is a human being with his skin peeled off, because... All the human beings that 
they've ever seen, and most of the people they've ever seen are, are black. And when they see me, they, there's two choices. Either I'm a spirit in the, in the villages now, or I'm a human being with his skin peeled off. <laughs> so, uh, and if they touch me, it's good luck. And if the women touch me, it's if they're going to have a lot of children. And, but the kids all are scared of me. Okay, because their mother has said probably in the villages, if you don't behave yourself, I'm going to get that white man after you. All right, so, but they want to touch me, and they don't, and they're scared of me. So it's it's really unique. But they love me. They love me because I've come nine thousand miles to express my love for them. And when you come, you double that or triple that in their feelings because. You see, you're a businessman or you're a wife or you're a mother and you've come 9,000 miles to say, I love you. So you have more power, really, and more influence than I do when you go to Nigeria or you go into the mission fields. It's a power of, of presence is what it is. Of course, we started a school. We went there with, uh, with my family and then we had to come home. So we started a school it's manned by all Nigerians. It started back almost 35 years ago. It started with one building. That was our whole school when we first started back in, I think, 89. Uh, now it's the women's dormitory. We went co-ed about 10 years ago. And this, this dormitory will hold 34 students. We, have, uh, we had three women come in from Sierra Leone, the country of Sierra Leone, on the bus. And they said, we want to be able to teach women's classes. and and our children in Sierra Leone, so we want a Bible education. So we said, okay, and they got their four-year degree program. They went through their four-year degree program, got their Bible, uh, just like out of Searcy, out of Lipscomb, or wherever, uh, because we're fully accredited with the undergraduate level. And they went back to Liberia to teach ladies' classes. <laughs> I mean, they just come in by bus. I mean, halfway across to Africa, uh, just three ladies. This is our library. We got tons of books in there. This is our uh, administration building, a classroom block building here with about 12 classrooms. It will take us for the next 10, 15 years. We built this recently, about five years ago. We built a dormitory. All of these buildings were built by one block at a time. We make our own cement blocks with a block machine, and then when we get enough blocks, we start the building, and we build the building by hand. Uh, the women carry the cement on their heads uh, up, up ramps on some of these buildings. They walk up ramps. They'd have a baby on their back. African woman can carry 70% of her body weight on her head, okay? A 100-pound woman carries 70 pounds on her head and a baby on her back all day uh, and work, I mean, like you wouldn't believe. I'm here to testify. I've been married, what, 30 years? No, 60 years. I've been married 60 years this year. Yeah. I told my wife I can't even remember being single. But I'm here to testify after 60 years of training, my wife carries nothing on her head. She won't do it. <laughs> uh, good girl. I'm going to use a little levity because if I don't, I get, I get real serious and I'll get emotional. And you, uh, you don't want, to, want me to do that one. But this is our dormitory. Uh, we bring French students from 
the French country-speaking countries. Africa, Nigeria is an English-speaking country, and we bring French students in, and they come in, in in probably in July. Well, by August, they have to learn English. So we put a French student into with, with a dormitory with a Nigerian student, and they got a month to learn English, and most of them do it. And they, they, are, they start their classes, college-level classes, in English, and they, they learn English the first year they're there. This is a, one of our newest buildings. This is our uh, activities building. I built that for COVID. It worked out just right to where COVID started, and then we couldn't do it in a classroom, so we had to have the space. So we did our classrooms through this, so COVID didn't affect us as far as stopping our classrooms. This I built for my wife. This is right part of the campus that's isolated with the walls and everything. This is where you'll stay when you come with us. Uh, I've had my grandchildren here. I've had people 80, 90 years old uh, from Arkansas in this house. I've had uh, all kinds of people in there. I, so I tell the elders' wives that if they'll send their husbands with me to Nigeria for 50 extra dollars, I'll take them one way. I haven't had it. Uh, Sharon has not picked me up on that yet. I thought she would a couple years ago, but she didn't, so I had to bring uh, your elders back to you. This is our 40-foot uh, container that we use for our garden project. Every, for the first two years, every student learns uh, drip irrigation farming. They have their own garden plots, and they raise their own vegetables using our drip irrigation farming methods. And uh, this year, we turned around and took the 40-foot container and added a, two offices to it, and we're enlarging our agricultural department. We're up to, uh, I think, uh, uh, this is our new clinic. Uh, to become our own university, we have to have our own clinic. So we built this clinic uh, last year. Uh, we had to manufacture our own beds. You can see we have terrazzo floors like a theater. I mean, it's easy to clean. We have terrazzo floors. We have suspended ceilings. We have good lighting. We made all the beds. We got 16 beds in this clinic. Uh, we have one section for the males, another section for the females, and then we have prenatal. I guess that's for the babies thing, I guess. And we're right now we're, we've got the furniture in now, and we're doing the laboratory with the microscopes and all of that. And then we're going to staff it with Nigerian doctors and nurses. Uh, when I got over there this la last year, in February, there wasn't no water on campus, and the main line from the city had broke down the 30-inch line, and the only thing we had for water on campus and the village, the local big village around us, was our water tanker truck, which carries about 10,000 gallons of water. And so we're trying to supply over 125 students, excuse me, with water. So what I did, and our borehole had went dry, so what I did is I brought in a company, and they did uh, the, the, what do you call it, subcontract, they, they test for water. And down in the, uh, this section of the campus, I had to remove that big tree beside the, the uh, basketball. This is the women's part of the dormitory there. I, we moved that big, we removed that big tree. We went down 97 meters, and we got artesian water. I mean, it just started flowing out of the ground. We put the pumps down and, and filled our tanks on campus, and it just kept coming up. 
it's, and it's drinkable, and it's good water, and it was going to the creek, you know, and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't sleep at night because, man, we don't have water one day, and we got all of our tanks full, and the villages all around us don't have water, so we piped the water out to the, uh, the road so they could get their free water, and then it kept running, and... So what I did is I said, I remember I, I lived in Sardinia, Italy for two years. What I do, I said, what we, and it just kept coming out. I mean, whoosh, you know, I'm thinking, man, somebody struck a rock here. So uh, I, I, I said, we need a cistern where this water that's just coming out without a pump or anything, we'll, we'll just take it over into a cistern. So we removed that big tree and we <clears throat> built this thing eight feet deep and 38 feet long and plastered it and piped it. And then we, what we did is we tiled it and then we covered it and then we put a pump on it and now we're filling tanker trucks outside the compound for $2.50 a tanker truck. We're supplying the University of Joss with, with water now. So... Will it run? I guess. Uh, but when I was building this, this is in the women's compound, okay? <laughs> and they said, Brother Worley, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, you women impress me as students. I mean, you're very smart, and you come from all over the African continent. I said, what you need to do is learn how to swim. This is an Olympic-sized swimming pool. <laughs> And they believed me for about two weeks. It was funny. <laughs> I mean, nobody went out and bought a swimming <laughs> suit, but uh, it, was, it was funny. They're, they're good, uh, good students. And the work, this is the whole thing right there. This is the, uh, we've got water, uh, Lord, and then I, uh, we put a borehole up by the house. On the other end of the campus went down 100 and I think about 80 feet uh, or meters and uh, put a pump in that. And we got water for that one too and it. One borehole supplies the dorm and, and the guest house, and the other borehole supplies the campus. Uh, this is our, we built this activities building, and then I, it was, looked like a big gymnasium because we put basketball courts in there, and uh, I decided, well, we're going to have a graduation. We need to make it look like something kind of celebration. So we have 12 different countries that have supplied us students. So we have 12, well, 11 different countries and then 12 counting Nigeria. So we hung 12 flags up uh, representing our students and turned it into a nice, this is our graduation, our three-year graduation during COVID. We didn't have our graduation. We have our classes, but we didn't have a graduation ceremony. But finally, last year, we, we had our graduation ceremony, and uh, looks good, doesn't it? We turn out about 20, uh, 35 to 40 students a year, uh, both male and female. So... The preachers are just unbelievable. This is a graduating class last year. 24 students graduated last year. So that, that student body you saw was two years ago. This is last year. 18 received their... We, we put a four-year degree program with the University of Joss, which is just like the one from Searcy, Arkansas, or Lipscomb, or Abilene. It's a four-year Bible degree in Bible uh, accredited through the University of Joss. And we have a four-year degree with our accreditation, and then we have a three-year degree, and then we have a two-year certificate for village preachers that just want to take two years of Bible and go back to the village. Uh, so 
We started out with 12 students. Now we have, I think, 136 uh, students right now. It says, uh, one of the men said, men and women who under the leadership of, and every student, this is one of our basic rules that we have. First, we turn up Bible scholars. I mean, people that we teach English, we teach Greek, we teach Hebrew. All of our teachers have master's degrees, most of them from Fried Harmon in Tennessee. Uh, four of our teachers, our 12 teachers, have PhDs. Five of our teachers are in the PhD programs in two universities in Africa. That's just our teaching staff alone. Uh, and every student, so we have Bible scholars, but every student, every teacher, every weekend spends a weekend in the villages and in evangelism, street evangelism. So there's two, two cardinal rules for this school. One, you're a Bible student. Second, you're an evangelist. You're somebody that can teach the gospel to the street person. Then you can talk to the street person and the village person about the gospel. We want college preachers, but we want college evangelists too. And you have to be both. Uh, this is our whole staff. We've got 30 people, uh, 12 staff, uh, teaching staff, and the rest of them in their library. And we've got a tremendous library, three-story library with 40 tons of books. So we have our library staff and all of the other staff people. This is our teaching staff right here. They represent six different tribes, and, and men and women. Our, one of our women, uh, Chica, uh, one of them's a, Solomon's wife, Rachel, in the middle there. She has her master's. Chica has her PhD. She teaches English to her students. Uh, and then uh, one of our other teachers, it's, uh, she's in there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, she's, a, she's got her PhD and she teaches uh, computer sciences. And then the rest of the teachers are all Bible teachers with one ag teacher. Uh, these are our teachers that are, on, at, that are in a PhD program. Two of them have already received their PhDs. And uh, you know, if you, if you get a, a degree in, uh, in Nigeria, you can teach in the schools. You can start as a teacher in any, any uh, you know, what do you call it, curriculum in the schools. And so our preachers can go out, if they have the Bible degree program, they can go out and get a job at the local school and then preach and support themselves. That's what they do. That's what we do. So that's, that's why we're really, we're really, and then if you get your degree, you can go on for your master's degree and you can go on for your Ph.D. So it's not just... You know we're degree orientated. It's it's a it's a it's a academic institution, is what it is. Our teachers have to be in a continuing educational programs. These are our foreign students on campus. There's six of them. Uh, our newest one is uh, Albert from Uganda. These guys are mostly from Chad, and uh, Sierra Leone and Guinea, and different African nations and Cameroons. Uh, they come, they get their four-year degrees, and they go back home, and they start churches all over Africa, and it just keeps growing. We got over 600 alumni now uh, from our school in Jaws, so we're going to start a, a, a alumni association. They have an alumni association, but we're going to start 
raising money through the Alumni Association. This is Albert Matutu. He's got a wife. He's got three kids. He left the country of Uganda in East Africa all the way across the continent. We've been bringing Ugandans over to Nigeria to get their four-year degree in Bible for the last 25 years. We've now we've started a school in Uganda with our graduates, and Matutu is from the Kasisi area, way in western Uganda, out where the gorillas in the midst was formed, you know. Uh, he left his wife and two daughters and one son for four years. And he's going to get his Bible degree and at Joss, and he's going to go back home to Uganda. He'll be one of the most highly educated Bible scholars in the whole country. <laughs> and they're willing to do that. They're willing to leave their wife and kids in the village for four years to get their degrees. This is our chicken farm. We've doubled this now. We've got more buildings on it, and we're up to over 900 chick chickens. So when I, I, I'm over there, I get free chickens. We've got broilers and we've got eggs, so I get free eggs and free chickens. And when you guys come, uh, it'll be like chicken filet, okay? Uh, at my house, we can eat chicken, 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 Eggs, eggs, chicken, eggs, chicken. <laughs> uh, but we, it's part of the program. Uh, we're raising chickens. We're raising rabbits. We're raising, we tried snails, <laughs> these big old black snails. I don't eat snails, uh, but we tried those, and the weather's too cold. Uh, we, we're, we, our ag program is good, plus we have their garden program, and it's, it's educational to say the least. These are our garden beds. They can take a, 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 a piece of land, dig a trench, put the compost in. We do a lot of composting, and then you cover it up and make your garden bed, put your hoses down, and then you put the uh, buckets down for drip irrigation farming. And a, a family, a preacher's family, can raise four crops a year instead of one, and they can raise enough vegetables to feed a family of seven uh, for a year with these garden beds. And we teach this. And we, we send our teachers out to teach seminars in the villages on how to, to do garden bed farming. And it's, it's catching on all over Nigeria. These are the two men that you support, or one of them that you support. The one on the right, the young one, is uh, Adibi, Henry Ed, Edidion. Henry Edidion. He has a motorcycle. He's in the federal capital. He's a great kid. He's a great man. He's a, he's a college graduate, and he's working with Jingfa, who is from the north. And we've got a Bible college, or a Bible correspondence course in Abuja, which is the federal capital of Nigeria. And Adam will tell you about that some, I guess. Uh, it, it works great. Uh, Jingfa is from the Plateau State, and Henry's a single guy, so if you have uh, somebody you want to get married, they set up a church. We got a church in Abuja, the federal capital, where we have 47 churches of Christ in the federal capital of Abuja, 47 preachers in those 47 churches of Christ. In southern Nigeria, we have 10,000 churches of Christ. We've had them there since the 50s. In the north, where we started, about 30 years ago, there we had 25 churches among 52 million people. Now we have over 350 churches. And that's the power of the gospel. Uh, 
where you have racism in America, you have tribalism in Nigeria. And so our staff in our school represents six different tribes. So the people in the villages are raised that, oh, those Hausa people, you know, they're all thieves, or those Yorba people, you can't trust a one, and, and all of those uh, Bibio people. And then the kids come from those villages and those village churches with this uh, tribalism, and they sit at the feet of our teachers for four years, and they see a woman teaching uh, them how to do English, they see a, a, an Abibio teacher, they see a Yorba teacher, they see a Hausa teacher, and they're all humans, and they're all, you know how you feel about teachers. I mean, they teach you things, and you learn to love them and respect them. And by the time after four years of this multi-tribal teaching, and we didn't set this up, this happened. This just happened, that we've got all of these tribal, different tribes of teachers teaching all the tribes in Nigeria and doing away with tribalism. It's unreal in a lot of ways. Without us even trying, the Lord works this out. And, and Jinkfa and, and uh, Henry are two different tribes. One's from the north, one's from the south, yet they're working together because they've been educated together and they've learned to love each other and work together. And that's what's happening here. The, our, our graduates are scattered all over uh, the, the Africa and subcontinent of Asia, up in Bangladesh. They came from Bangladesh. We've got graduates over in Australia. Uh, one country we haven't got students from is America yet. So uh, if you've got a grandson or a granddaughter and you want to send them to Nigeria, uh, come see us. <laughs> we'll give them a four-year education in Bible. Uh, this is northern Nigeria, the whole country of Nigeria. And the red part is where the uh, extremists are right now, the Muslim extremists, and we have churches all over in there that are functioning. Uh, I can't travel in that area, not anymore. Uh, my African brother won't let me. They say, we, we don't want you going in that area because if they kidnap you, Brother Worley, the American brother will hold it against us. And they would probably kidnap me. I'd probably be worth some money, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't go into there. But the, the churches are functional on themselves. I've been there for 10, 15 years, and they're working in the villages, and, and they're, they're suffering persecution every day. It's just something that they've, you never get used to it. I put this in for the kids, usually. This is a treehouse in Nigeria. It's down in the desert. They're called the Bilbob tree, and it's a, it's a treehouse. There's a family living in that. They, they live in the bottom, of course, and then the top, the smoke comes out. And legend says in Nigeria uh, that this is, was the ugliest tree. This was the ugliest tree in the Garden of Eden, and God threw it out, and it landed upside down. This is the tree in full blossom. I mean, it's ugly. And it's got little leaves on it. And they pull these little leaves off of the, uh, the, the, one tribe calls it the kuka tree. And it's kuka leaves. And they make a soup out of it. And it's a very good soup. And then they got a pod on this tree that's like a coconut. But you open it up and it's full of sugar. And they, they sweeten everything with the, the sugar from the tree. And then they strip the bark off the tree up to about 10 feet, strip the bark off the tree, and they make rope out of it. It's the most useful tree that I've ever known. It's kind of like me, the guy I see in the mirror. Very ugly, but man, he's useful, okay? It's something to 
see when you get to Nigeria, and try some kuka soup when you get there. Of course, we got two buses out of Kentucky. A guy gave us two buses, so we took them to Nigeria. And a group of preachers came to me a couple years ago, two years ago, and said, look, we, we swarm a village, and we do two-week uh, evangelism program in the village, and we, uh, uh, the preachers, a group of preachers, and they bring their wives to cook for them, and, and then they started Church of Christ in that village when they baptized a lot of people, and, and we need something to carry our equipment in, our you know, we'd like to show them a Jesus movie, or we'd like, we, we have the audio equipment and all the sound equipment and all of that, and, and we need a baptistry. So uh, I said, okay, uh, I'll take one of the buses. So I went over and I took 11 seats out of the bus, 11 row seat out of one of our buses. And, and then we, you see the black section there, we cut a hole in the side of the bus, uh, had a local uh, ironmonger cut our hole and weld us, and we made us a preacher platform so the preacher can stand on the platform on the bus. And then we wired the bus for 220, which is the electricity I use, and we put a 7 kVA generator to a tree out back of the bus, and we wired the bus, and we plugged the bus in to our generator so we have electricity, and then we put a mixing board in the bus, and, and uh, then I decided, well, we'll, we'll put a we'll put a bed in the bus too. So I made a camping sofa that pulls out into a six foot bed. And then uh, we wanted a baptistry and I make these baptistries, I built them in Scotland usually years ago, it's right on the front. And then I put it, we put a light, lights up for the village so where at night we do the gospel meeting. So we have the big floodlights up, the LDS, LD lights, uh, LED lights. And then we, we have the big four foot speakers. So Three or four villages down the road can hear us when we start preaching. And then we show a Jesus film uh, every night to bring the people in because they don't have televisions or electricity in the villages. And we call this the Salvation Station. And we lease it out to churches for their gospel meetings. If you would, uh, in America, we got buildings, but over there, if you get over 300 people, you know, you can't put them in one little mud hut. So we lease this out to the buildings, or to the churches, and they hold gospel meetings. I have a, a station keeper, one of our graduate preachers, that goes with the bus. He's single, and he runs everything. He's in charge of that bus. That's his, his, his ship, and uh, he runs all the equipment. And for we lease it out for a week or two to different churches every, and it's picking up. It's starting to really, and we got we got banners that go along the side when we first go in at the Church of Christ Gospel Meeting. We make up banners that we hook on the side of the bus, and it's uh, Salvation Station. Our country in the country of Chad. When we started working together, there was no Church of Christ in the country of Chad. We converted a refugee that came to Nigeria, sent him through school, he went back, established a church, registered the church in the country of Chad. Now we have hundreds of churches in the country of Chad. We have about 50 preachers over there that French-speaking, it's all French-speaking country, and it keeps growing. Well, three of our graduates were from southern Chad. They went down where there's no running water, no electricity. They started a school. They built a church building, and then we started a school. Well, we built three buildings. We bought 15 acres of land. Church in uh, Tennessee bought 15 acres of land. And these guys started a school. And they started out with, I think, what, about 
150 students, all right? And the villagers, there was no school, no electricity, no running water. So the villagers start sending their kids. And uh, I go over when I can, and the buildings that we built, have, they have dirt floors. And the school is registered with the federal government. So the federal government came down and built us latrines that had a water support. And on campus, we have male and female latrines, you know, bathrooms. And uh, we started growing. And we're growing, and we're moving. And, and when I go there, they're kids. They're kids. There's over 800 primary kids there, and over 300 and something high schoolers. And they're kids. I mean, I don't care if they're white or black or green or yellow. Kids are kids. I mean, from whatever country they are. They're kids, OK? So you go there, and uh, it's unreal. They have, they, we have one chalkboard in the class, dirt floors. And now we're up to 1,300 and I think 60-something kids. 1,300 kids. We have two sessions a day, one in the morning session, and then they go back to their village and then the next section. Recently, we found 125 kids sleeping on our campus in our classrooms because they were orphans. They didn't have a family. So we built some bug beds in a building, and, and the 125 kids sleep in the, in the, on the bunk beds, and they, we give them a big metal bowl. They give them a big metal bowl, and they cook some... <laughs> stuff and the kids wash their hands and and eat with their fingers and they're kids it's it's unreal uh we've got there you go uh we started out with 142 students and divided to two classrooms and then with only three teachers now we have a primary school 914 students with 20 preachers teachers and then we have a secondary school with 344 students with 14 teachers so a total of 1,258 students with 34 teachers. And we're going to graduate three uh, Chadians from the school in Joss, and they're going to go home and start a Bible learning center with another building behind the school here for our high schoolers. When they finish high school, they can go to the Bible learning center, learn how to be preachers or, uh, and teachers in, in our Bibles, in their churches. So... That's in Chad. This is just the future Bible learning school students. Uh, and they all speak French. They all speak, most of them speak English. What we did is we, it's, an Eng, it's a French course, or course curriculum, because it's the languages, the national language is French. And then we, we, we added Bible, uh, courses in Bible and courses in English. So when they come out, they, they come out to meet me. I buy them cases of cookies. And, and I, we break them down, and then they come out to get, each student gets three cookies, okay? Well, they don't come out in a mob like this. They come out marching. You know, I'm military, so this really gets me. I can get really emotional on this, and it's hot, and there's flies, and, it's, and the kids are coming out. And the wee ones, the little ones, the little primary kids, they're singing, Alouette Jante. They're singing French because they haven't got enough English yet, and their legs are about this long. And when they're marching, it's dust. It's like peanuts with, with the dust bowl, you know. <laughs> and, and they come out, and, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's unreal. But the high schoolers, they come out, they're speaking, I've decided to follow Jesus. They're singing the songs. And, and they're all in formation. Hundreds of them, hundreds of them from 32 different villages. 
And they're all learning the Bible. And they're all learning English. And they're all learning how to be students. Because without us, there's no school. There's just the village. And then the country of Chad, when we started there, that's two French countries. Uh, there was no Church of Christ in uh, Niger, north of us. And we started the church in Niger. We brought a student in, and we sent two Nigerian missionaries up there. He recruited a student uh, that was a high school student, and uh, he learned English. And he came in to Joss, and we, we bought him a donkey and a cart. And his family threw him out, so he finished high school taking this donkey and cart with some water jugs to the stream, and he would bring it to the village and sell water to the villagers through high school. And he learned English in high school, came to Joss, learned the Bible, uh, got his degree, and went back and started a, a Church of Christ. We've got one building in the whole country of Niger, French-speaking country. That's the Church of Christ in Tara, the village. He got married. He has a, he has a, they have a child now. And he's a Church of Christ preacher in the country of Tara. We, we, we hired an old preacher from the country of, uh, where, is, uh, where is he from? Ivory Coast. We wanted an old guy to work with the young preacher, so we hired him, and he came over, and he worked with the, the young preacher out in the village, and then he finally moved into the capital, and now we're building the Church of Christ. We bought land, and we're building the Church of Christ in the capital of, of the country of Niger, which had just had a coup, uh, and the government took over. But the church is still there. Uh, Anaki is his name, Francis Anaki. Uh, he's a great guy. He's got a wife and three girls, four girls. One of them is in college, and he's working in the country of Niger. And it works. It works. The power's in the gospel. It's the gospel that has the power. You know, religion is a religion of responsibility. God has his responsibility to provide the word, and he's provided the word, okay? That's God's responsibility. I don't have to, I don't have to edit the Bible. I mean, that's, that's God's responsibility. Well, the word has its responsibility is to convict a sinner. I don't have to improve on the word. All I have to do is sow it. It's like seed. He says it's like seed. I just sow it. Okay? That's my responsibility, just sow the seed. It's the sinner's responsibility to receive the seed. Right? I can't make him receive the seed or her. That's their responsibility. How many people I convert is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to sow the seed. Come on. That's it. And then when they decide to become, receive the word, I baptize them and then I lead them on and teach them. Okay? But other than that, my responsibility is just to sow the seed and teach the people that receive the seed. Okay? So there's a freedom there within uh, our mission work and, and in your life. You, you're not responsible to save people. You're not responsible for the word. You're not responsible for the sinner. That's their responsibility. All you have to do is live your life as Christ would have you live it and tell people, if they receive it, fine. If they don't, fine. But the, Because you can't call peace to, cause people to be lost, right? So we're free. We're free to enjoy 
the kingdom of light, and then in that light. Do we have any questions? You got any questions for me? If you want to come over, uh, Adam's coming over this year, and we got a couple people, and I think the editor of the Christian Chronicle, she's coming over and taking pictures for us this year. Uh, you can come over for 10 days, two weeks, three months, six years, <laughs> whatever you'd like. Try the food. Food's good, usually. Got fresh bananas, for sure. And we've got chicken. <laughs> we got a lot of eggs. Uh, so, any questions? Yeah. What, what is, uh, I heard you say it was cool at one part during your message. What is the time up there year round? When, when is winter? What is the time? Okay. It's like it's close to the equator. Yeah, there's two. Uh, it's it's well, about the standards, about 80 degrees. We're up in the mountains. In Joss, we're up in the mountains. North of us is the Sub Sahara. That's why I go see a dermatologist every time I come back and he takes some of my skin off uh, because it's just so hot there. It's close to the equator. But there's two seasons. There's the wet season from about uh, May to September, and it's wet, and it's deluge of rain, all right? And then from September to May, it's the dry season, and it goes from soggy to crispy. I mean, it's crispy. And you plant during the wet season, okay? In May, you do your planting, and then you, you harvest it by September. And then the dry season, it's, you, that's why our drip irrigation farming, you only get one crop a year, but with our drip irrigation farming, you get four crops a year because you're, you're composting. We don't use fertilizer. You do composting, so you can do four crops a year drip irrigation farming. Now, in Joss, is about the only place in Nigeria that uh, you can grow uh, Irish potatoes, french fries and stuff like that. Uh, and they have white sweet potatoes there too, okay? Joss is, a, is the best climate in all of West Africa. All your denomination headquarters located there back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, okay? Uh, and we have two tractors on, on, on board, on the station. I had to teach some Nigerians how to, how to, how to drive a tractor, <laughs> okay? And the hills are, it's hilly there. It's very hilly. It's in the mountains. So uh, tractors are not all-terrain vehicles. <laughs> you got to know how to drive a tractor. So uh, our, our ag program is just booming. Uh, we've taken that all the way over to Kenya in East Africa. But our farmers are, because if you don't, if you don't farm, you don't eat in most countries. Uh, food stores are, are fine, but it's, you know, it's a supply-demand type thing. But if you, if you farm, you can at least, you can live. Uh, any questions? The kids are the, the beauty of it, because uh, they're kids, and... And most, most of the, and, and they're, I'll tell you, you, a lot of times I'll go to a wedding. Let me tell you a story. I go to a wedding and they say, oh, Brother Worley, we're so glad to have you here. And uh, here, have some food. And they'll give me a bowl of soup, usually. It's, it's, it's a clear broth. And, you know, a wedding is everybody standing around. I'm, I'm talking after the wedding, you know, the party. And I'm, I'm eating this soup. Well, there's, there's meat in that soup. 
And I don't know what that meat is, <laughs> okay? And there's different colors. There's liver and there's beef and there's, there's all kinds of goat and there's all kinds of meat in there. Well, I'm not going to eat that meat. I don't know what that meat is, where that meat's been, okay? And so I'll, I'll, use, I'll drink a little broth, you know, I'll eat the broth out of a spoon. And they'll say, how do you like the soup? I say, oh, it's delicious. And you know women with soups or whatever, food. It's delicious. It's so delicious. I want to share it with the children. <laughs> well, the children's poop is gone because the kids are all hungry. I mean, everywhere. You never find a kid that's, that's got a full belly in, in anywhere. I mean, even in America, they'll eat whatever. <laughs> They're our salvation. They're our preachers. There's my salvation when I go to, to parties and places because you can always say. And then they'll say, Oh, look, Brother Worley, look how Brother Worley loves our children. <laughs> so there's a little bit of honesty there, too. So, But I do, I love their children. But I, one of the reasons I love their children is because they saved me from the soup. Okay? <laughs> Any questions? Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Uh, we've been together for a long time. Uh, and like I say, we'll, we'll celebrate our 60th in April. And... Uh, very, the average lifespan of a Nigerian is 48 for a man, 52 for a woman. So you can imagine how they, how they look at me. I'm God's blessing. Walking, really, if you stop to think about it. God bless you. What is the crime like there? It's uh, the Muslim. We, you know, you had the range wars in America in the 1800s. The cattlemen and the farmers. We had wars all throughout the West. Okay, well, they have that in Nigeria right now. The Fulanis are a tribe of nomadic tribesmen with cattle. And then you have the farmers. Well, the cattle come through. They graze. No stock laws. They graze, eat the farmer's stuff. The farmer poisons the cow. And then the, the farmers and the cows kill each other. Or the farmers and the herdsmen kill each other. And that's what's going on right now in Nigeria. And then you have the tribal wars. And then you have, it's, it's unreal. Uh, it's turmoil all the time. But, you know, the, the common man, he gets up in the morning, cleans up, works, goes back to bed, tries to raise his family, his kids, same thing, all over the world. I mean, that's the way it is. They look at us and it's, trying to figure out if we're going to live over here with our open borders and stuff. Thank you. You want this? I think. You better ask the preacher. He may want you to stand up there. <laughs>